Welcome to Declassified College, a podcast where we give you all the cheat codes needed to pass this level in your life. Each week, we share three short episodes filled with clips of our interviews with students from across the United States and occasionally an interview with an industry expert to answer all of your questions about attending university. College can be what sets you up for a prosperous career, or it can be the four years that when you look back on it, you wish that you did it different. We're here to make sure that you have all the information so that by the time you walk across that stage, you're ready for the so-called real world that the boomers love to talk about. My name is Justin Wynn, and it's about time we declassified college. This week, I brought onto the podcast Benjamin Fields. He's a double major and quadruple minor studying at Cornell. And I know what you're thinking. Come on, Justin. He's an Ivy League student and that you didn't even know that a quadruple minor was even a thing. How can you relate to him? Ben's story of how he got to Cornell is filled with battling racism, struggling in college, and through all of this, how he was able to come up with some cheat codes to help college students like you finesse their way through college. We go over Ben's roller coaster of a story in this episode and make sure you come back for part two where he shares the rest of his secrets to college. All right. Thank you for the great introduction. I think it was a little bit of exaggeration. But um, yeah, my <laughs> name is Benjamin Fields. I'm a senior at Cornell. I'm from Oklahoma. And so, you know, I'm just here to tell my story and try to help encourage some people. Well, let's let's just jump into it right there. Like, talk about what is your major or majors and your minors? Okay. Um. So I have a unconventional academic profile. I'm a double major in development sociology and global and public health sciences. And I have, <clears throat> I have four minors in international development studies, public service studies, inequality studies, and democracy. So what, what does that mean? Like what, obviously you have a lot of majors and, and minors in there, but what was the, the reasoning behind choosing all of those disciplines of study? Um, to be honest, I think uh, a lot of the classes overlapped with each other. And I think with my two majors, they kind of focus on things like development, international development or economic development. And so global and public health was kind of the applied side, um, learning in classes about applying that knowledge, whereas in development sociology, it was the systems and processes and institutions behind all of that. Um, and then the minors were a few classes from either of the mi- of the um, majors that kind of interlap, like international development studies. It's focused on public service studies. You know, there's a lot of application in global and public health sciences major. Demography is very important in global and public health and development sociology. And inequality studies is actually something that's not necessarily as related, but I thought it was a very important thing for me to learn if I want to be a sociologist in the future. Gotcha. So is that the end goal to be a sociologist? Um, That's not necessarily the end goal. I think that it's definitely a part of the way there. Um, You know, this is crazy. I believe in crazy goals. I want to be president one day. Um, But I think the best way to do it, in my opinion, is to go the academic route and understand sociologically what's going on with people and how to fix things 
I think the archaic view of people thinking that economists and businessmen and people who have been, you know, institutionalized with a very certain type of worldview, it's obviously not working. Well, it's, it's working for them, but it's not working for most people. And so I kind of want to take a different approach um, of getting to where I want to be. Okay. So I'm, I'm speaking with a future president right now. Um, mm-hmm. I love it. I, I think you're definitely setting yourself up for the right journey. So is politics kind of that next career move for you? Or was was that kind of something that just came about because of everything that you've been learning in school? This is a very tricky thing. Um, it's something that I've wanted to do based on everything that I've learned, but it's not the next immediate goal. I don't even necessarily think it's a goal that's going to happen within the next decade and a half. I do want to be a professor in sociology. I'm applying to graduate programs right now, and I do want to put out great research and build a name for myself academic. Politics is kind of just something that I want to do, but like later on in life, once I think that I have trained myself well in understanding what's going on in terms of people. Okay, so sociology has always been the main sort of topic of mind, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's take a step back into high school. When you were starting to apply to colleges and starting to choose that major, what sort of went through your head in terms of, did you have an educated guess at choosing um, sort of this sociology field? Or was it like most students where it's like, I don't really know what I want to do. And I'm just kind of following some of the things that my parents told me, my friends told me and everything kind of like that. Um, yeah. So, you know, in high school, I had no idea that I would be where I am today. If we backtrack to my junior year. Junior year of high school? Yeah. My mom would tell me things like, Ben, you know, you're going to go to a great school, blah, 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 blah. I never believed her. I thought she was crazy. And, you know, I went through kind of some crazy stuff in high school, um, having to deal with a lot of racism. You know, my high school counselor told me not to take tests. You know, I wouldn't score high enough. She refused to upload documents for me in order to help me finish my college applications. You know, I had teachers who would have, you know, like Nazi Germany relics in their high school, in their history classroom saying, oh, you know, it's just a replica or whatever. But, you know, it's not that simple. KKK uh, memorabilia, you know, they would make me retest whenever I got high test scores until my grades dropped. And, you know, it it was a really bad experience. And so when it came to school, I kind of just went with the flow and followed what was the status quo. I, um, I wanted to be, to be honest, I had a stupid goal of wanting to be like Dr. Miami, a plastic surgeon, just make a lot of money. You know, I had no idea that there was a career outside of being a doctor or a lawyer and engineer, because that's what people talk about a lot. Um, You know, a lot of things went well in school. Test scores went well, you know, some other stuff. And I ended up getting into Cornell. I came here pre-med, still with that kind of dumb idea to just be a doctor to make money. And... You know, reality hit pretty fast. A lot of the STEM classes are really hard. I realized, you know, I really don't want to do this. So that's when I switched to the global and public health sciences major. Um, I was really interested in it, but I realized that while it does apply to kind of what I want to do in the future, it's not the best. Started taking sociology classes and they really resonated with me and they stuck. I'm actually an athlete at Cornell. I got injured and so I actually started going to class more and paying attention, going to office hours and I realized, you know, how great sociology was for me, got into research and started doing a senior thesis. And so, you know, here I am, wanted to be a sociologist now. That's a that's amazing, man. And so you said that you got injured. Were you playing a sport in high school as well as in college? 
Yeah, so I used to, uh, I ran track starting in high school, starting in um, eighth grade. I was one of the best in the conference freshman year. I moved up to high school. I was hoping to get recruited to the University of Oklahoma because I'm from Oklahoma. It was my dream school. I was recruited, but the thing was, I didn't know that. My high school kind of had this thing where they were hiding recruiting letters from um, student student athletes who were being recruited from schools. And, you know, there was a lot of crazy stuff going on. So that's wild, man. Yeah. I ended up from my senior year deciding to just quit track because there's no point if I'm not going to get recruited. Took six AP classes. In class, I got a hand-delivered letter from Cornell Athletics, was recruited, ended up coming here. Um, and now I've run a track at Cornell. It's been an interesting journey. I started off slow my freshman year. My sophomore year, I was slow and then just broke out one meet, did really well. And there's actually like this international competition that's done every four years with like the best athletes. And I got to go on that to the UK for two weeks. I ran my junior year. I had a good year, but I ended up getting hurt, you know, right at the beginning of the season. And then here it is senior year. I'm trying to make sure that I finish the job and win a conference championship. 100%. I think, I think you'll get that this year. And it's, uh, let's dive into sort of those first couple of years in college, right? You're a pre-med major, you're a student athlete. How the heck are you managing everything at the same time with all of that? Um, so when I started off, uh, I started off pre-med my first time here. Uh, I didn't really understand how much more rigorous Cornell was than, you know, an under-resourced high school in Oklahoma. I didn't do well my first couple of years. If I'm going to be honest, I got a, in terms of school. Yeah, I got a lot of C's. I didn't know time management. I didn't do homework very well. I didn't do writing very well. I spent very minimal time on school. I put a lot of mental energy into track. I also played a lot of video games, too. You know, being in a school like this, I really needed mental breaks a lot. And so video games was the way that I would do it. Yeah, I mean, time time management wise, the first two years was just horrible absolutely terrible and do you feel like that that sort of caused you to become better with your time as school has progressed because obviously you've you've still been able to do a lot with your time being a student athlete as well as switching your major into becoming a double major now and a quadruple minor like you've obviously found a way to make it work right yeah so how how could you go through that sort of mindset shift of what happened to allow you to be able to manage all of that, even though, yes, you, you're not necessarily a medical major anymore, but you still have a ton on your plate, maybe even more now? Mm-hmm. I think the first thing to do is to realize that school is not the meritocracy that we think it is. Hard work is great, but at the end of the day, it's not going to be what's going to get you to the top. It takes a lot of planning and You know, in sociology, we have the term social and cultural capital. And there are the ideas that you understand or you have the social connections needed in order to succeed, or you have social connections that are tangible, that are worth something. And the same thing with understanding cultural norms, understanding how to do things, how to succeed, the collegiate environment. And so once I learned about those concepts and I really institutionalized them within my own mind and learned, okay. Hard work is good, yes, but it has to be guided. It has to be in the right place. It has to be, you have to have mentors and advisors. You have to know what to do. I really started getting a lot of progress in terms of what I was able to accomplish. And in school here, at you know, I'm at Cornell. It's an elite institution. I realized that this place, school is a corporate factory. 
Um, it's not these people here, like they say they care about certain things, you know, like humanitarian needs. And to a certain extent, I think they do. But at the end of the day, it's all about getting things that are going to help progress you later on in life. And so once I realized that as well, and I realized, hey, you know, this stuff on people's resumes, they're not necessarily doing it because they're that spectacular. They're only doing it because, hey, it gives you credentials and it builds you into the future. And so I kind of had to just adopt that same kind of mindset. You know, it's not a mindset that I'm proud of having, but I think that it's something that you kind of have to have. I had to adopt that mindset in order to start scheduling things better, figuring out, okay, how can I weave something in new? How can I, you know, start something new that looks great for me? How can I take advantage of all the opportunities there are here? And I started reaching out to more people on campus and, you know, spreading my network and learning more things from different people. And then I was just able to keep adding stuff and then um, keep progressing and doing well. That's a super interesting concept that you brought up at the beginning of like, you can work really hard, but if you're not guided, you might not necessarily go anywhere with that hard work. And you see that all the time, right? Especially in school, you've got the kid who was a 4.0, but he can't get an internship um, or a job to save his life. Like I was in that position at the beginning of my freshman, sophomore and junior year where I couldn't figure out like, why the heck was I not getting an internship, even though I was doing everything that everyone told me to do, right? Getting the good grades, join the clubs, etc. And there's sort of like these hidden rules, so to say, um, on like how to succeed, how to get those internships um, for you doing your research projects and everything like that. How were you able to learn sort of these un these hidden rules that sort of popped up in the college world? So first, you know, I want to give a shout out to a professor that I know at Harvard Graduate School of Education. He came from a similar background. He wrote a book that's um, really similar to some of my senior thesis research. It's called The Privileged Poor. He talks about college students' transition into elite schools and knowing the social, not knowing the social and cultural capital needed to succeed and take advantage of resources. And they come a lot, across a lot of problems. That book really, really helped me understand that process. But it's it's hard for me to think of a specific point in time that I think I realized what I needed to do. Um, I think it was just a gradual process. And then there was one, there was, I can remember a time where I reflected back and said, hey, now with everything that I've learned and conglomerate over time, this is what I need to do to succeed. But there wasn't really a specific point in time that I realized it. But it definitely took me until junior year to get into the groove of things and it definitely took me until junior year. And there were certain instances um, when I started Cornell, people would tell me things like, hey, I got this test score. I went to this high school. I did this program at MIT, or I did this program at Cambridge University in the UK. Or, no, sorry, University of Cambridge. And I used to think it was all meritocracy, but you know, I started taking social inequality classes and I started realizing, hey, you only have to pay for these programs. Or, hey, you know, a lot of students here tell me that their parents hooked them up with a job or their parents know someone here. And junior year, it was about, I put together the picture, hey, you know, this stuff is not a meritocracy. You have to play this system. That's when I probably figured it out. Gotcha. And so you started talking a little bit about like the mentors and the people that have helped you guide um, or that have helped guide you through the, the college journey a little bit. It seems kind of weird, right? In terms of when you're a student trying to reach out and find a mentor, because there's sort of that barrier of like, 
you don't really have, you feel like you don't have much value to give to them, but you're asking them to give so much value to you. And I've made the mistake of like just going outright and asking people like, hey, can you be my mentor? And I found that that's not necessarily the way to go about it. Um, how did you find those first few people, those core, that core group of people that helped you like get through college, whether it was with an opportunity or helped guide you down the right path, where to put your energy towards or anything like that? Um, I think it was a matter of, I took some classes with professors and I went to their office hours and I realized, hey, I can sustain a conversation here. They're interested in kind of some of the same things that I'm interested in and over time, just build a relationship. Um, same thing, there's a diversity and inclusion coordinator here at Cornell that I've done the same thing with. And it's kind of just, you know, a slow process. Not necessarily too slow, you know, it only takes, a you know, three or four or five times, but, you know, just talk to people, get to know them, figure out what you have in common, and then try to build from there. And then eventually, you create a relationship where they're like, hey, you know, I see that you have this potential and I want to help you. And that's kind of where you want to get to when it comes with people who are, you know, older than you, more experienced and have connections and success themselves. How do you get over that hump though of like seeing them and being intimidated by either their stature or things that they've accomplished? Because you view yourself as like just this little, this little fish in in a huge pond and they're this huge fish and you're trying to, to ask them for for guidance or something like that, but it's it's so intimidating, especially at the very beginning. Um, so I think there's a there's two approaches to go about it. I'm personally a very competitive person. I've always thought that I was big time. So you know, when people tell me, "Hey, you know, this professor is this smart," I'm like, "Well, why why are you assuming they're smarter than me?" Like I've always had that <laughs> kind of mindset. <laughs> and so I love it. Man. I've never really been intimidated to go talk to them because of stuff like that. But I think. Um, just number one, knowing knowing that this whole system is a game, knowing that you can go talk to them, knowing that they're regular people just like you. Um, my mom used to tell me all the time, if you take a celebrity like Kim Kardashian, I mean, she has to eat just like us. She has to go pump gas in the car just like us. She has to poop on the toilet just like us. And once you realize that, you'll be able to um, go talk to more people. You'll be more comfortable with it. And then over time, you'll start to realize, hey, I have a lot more value than I think. You have to realize that at one point in time, you know, they all professors all used to be college students. They didn't get perfect 4.0s. You have to realize that, you know, Kim Kardashian used to be a young girl who used to have idols as well. Or you have to realize that Barack Obama used to be, you know, a young student, a young male that nobody knew who he was. And you have to progress there. And at some point in time, you have to realize and say, okay, this is the time that I'm going to do it. You know, I'm not going to be afraid of people who allegedly are just so much better than me. You'll realize that that stuff's not true over time. A hundred percent. And you keep going back to this concept of life is a game. Uh, could you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. Um, you know, I, a lot of my views on stuff like this are a little radical for people, but I'll go ahead and tell you the idea that a meritocracy exists, I think is just nonsense. And when you say a meritocracy, could you elaborate that just for people who might not really understand that term? Yeah. A meritocracy basically is the idea that people are getting what they're earning or people are getting what they're worth or what they're working for. And the United States, really honestly, the entire Western world has kind of imposed this kind of view on the entire planet. You know, we live in a capitalist system where it's like, okay, 
profit, 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 the best survive, the worst die, social Darwinist type kind of deal. And people believe that, okay, the people at the top who got there really earned it. They're really much more spectacular than everyone else. There's something special about them. The people at the bottom, you know, hey, you know, it's their own fault. They're not doing the right things. But once you realize that's not true, and once you realize there are systems and there are structures and there are social institutions that are controlling the flow of who's getting into what group or who is even in what group in the first place, you'll start to realize, okay, I have to learn how to game that system and get what I want instead of blindly just working hard thinking, hey, it's going to get me somewhere when in reality it's not. You know, there are people, I think that if you were to look at, there are a lot of jobs that don't pay well that people work harder than the billionaires who get paid the most. You know, they don't do anything. They fly around in private jets, they make phone calls, they go on vacation, you know, versus there are people who are like construction workers. I mean, they're working 10, 12, 14 hours a day, you know, working way harder than people who are at the top and yet they're not making any money for it. What's going on? You have to realize there's a system and you have to figure out how to beat that system to get success. Mm -hmm. So in terms of let's take that and focus in on the college section of the game, right? Mm -hmm. How, what are some of those cheat codes? Because I remember when we hopped onto a phone call, I think I talked about like GTA, right? I would similarly compare college to GTA, but playing with it without cheat codes, playing GTA without cheat codes. And we all know playing GTA without G codes is essentially impossible, right? Especially if you get those five star cops, you're you're getting die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how? What are some of the cheat codes, so to say, of college that you can help um, other college students learn? Know your professor. Number one, if you know your professor, say for example, you're in a large lecture class, right? and you miss an exam or you can't take an exam, you know you're gonna fail it. If you go to your professor and say, hey, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm sick, I can't make this exam, they're gonna be like, that's BS. But if you know your professor, the way they interpret you missing the exam is different. When you know your professor, the way they interpret your work when they grade it is different. When you know your professor, the way they interpret favors, like extensions, is different. That's one way that you can immediately boost your grade. And when you know your professor, you're going to go talk to them a lot. When you talk to them a lot, it's going to cause you to know the subject more. They're going to talk to you about the subject more. You'll actually probably be a lot more interested in it. And then, you know, I've even gone to the extent to where I go talk with professors and I joke with them, you know, hey, what are we going to test the undergraduates on? You build a relationship. You build relationships so great that, you know, your grades and classes, you know, skyrocket. Another day, another cheat code, and you're on your way to defeating the level that we like to call college. If you've liked any of the cheat codes that we've given out, please hit that subscribe button and give us a review on iTunes. Each review helps us grow and make sure that more people learn these tips. We love to hear from you all, so make sure you check out our website, www.getchillgrindup.com, and follow us on all social media platforms at Get Chill Grind Up. That's G-E-T-C-H-O-G-R-I-N-D-U-P. So until next time, peace.